0: Hello, Oncers. This is narrator Chell with Once Upon a Rewatch. Narrators Lynn and Elisa are still playing catch-up. I'm sure that you don't mind giving them the grace of another week off as they play catch-up after a beautiful wedding and honeymoon. In the meantime, however, we would like to air for you an episode from our sibling podcast, which I co-host with my friend Tori called vampires ruined my life every episode is different and we talk about vampires in media vampire lore vampire myth and folk history and the influence that the undead has had on our lives today we're going to present to you one of our most popular episodes diagnosis Vampire. We discuss the many diseases that may or may not have inspired vampire folklore or tales of the undead, and how those illnesses are used in modern vampire media and some historical stories of the quote unquote undead. So if you are a fellow fanged fiend, please sit back and enjoy this little podcast takeover. If not, that's totally okay. Just come right back next week where we will air Once Upon a Rewatch Season 3, Episode 3, Quite a Common Fairy, ready for your listening pleasure. Greetings and salutations, Darklings. We are Chell and Tori,
1: and welcome to episode four of Vampires Ruined My Life. Today, we're going to talk about diseases that may or may not have inspired vampire lore or led to people believing that creatures of the night were stalking their homes and how those ailments have been used in recent vampire media.
0: The term Nosferatu, popularized by Bram Stoker's Dracula, is an archaic term derived from the Greek Nosophros, which means plague carrier, very apropos for our topic today, which surprisingly has sparked quite heated debate among cultural historians and folklorists on the validity of these theories. Tori and I aren't here to debate if they're legitimate, though. No, nope. we'll leave that to the people with fancy degrees and tenure. We're just here to regale you with the diseases that may or may not have influenced the lore of the vampire.
1: Exactly. We're just going to talk about what we've read and stories mm-hmm. that we've heard and how these things, because even if they did not influence actual folklore, you know, 300 years ago or something, these ailments are sometimes used in current media yeah, as explanations for vampires or maybe vampire fake outs. So we're going to talk about that, too. So to kick off, we're going to talk about rabies. Yay. Yay, <laughs> rabies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the symptoms of rabies include aversion to strong smells, i.e. garlic, mm-hmm. and stimuli including bright lights and mirrors, insomnia, so you're up all night, and a tendency towards aggression, which can lead to biting. Yep. I'm nom nom nom. <laughs> People afflicted with rabies may also have an increased sex drive, and most infected people were historically men, leading to stories about men wandering at night, stalking women. Ugh. In addition, because rabies victims have trouble swallowing, bloody saliva sometimes drips from their mouths. Isn't that an image? I know.
1: <laughs> kind of gross.
0: In the 1730s, around the time vampire folk tales were gaining in popularity, There was a huge rabies outbreak in Hungary. Also, the animals most associated with vampires, wolves and bats, tend to be the largest rabies carriers and were the main carriers in the 1730s outbreak. From the Conversation article, quote, After an incubation period of between 4 and 12 weeks, symptoms might start with a vague sense of agitation or restlessness. They then progressed to the racking spasmatic episodes characteristic of rabies, along with sleeplessness, excitability, feverishness, rapid pulse, drooling, and labored breathing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely easy to see why people may have like, oh, absolutely seen people afflicted with rabies, like wandering the streets and, you know, being aggressive and possibly drooling and, you know, attacking people, Well, not attacking people, but maybe being like, you know, aggro and thinking, oh, yeah, that's a monster of some kind.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, I even today with like modern, I mean, I think like if I saw somebody afflicted with rabies, like I think my first thought would probably be like, Like you know, just on a base lizard brain level, right? Like (laughs) would be like, oh my god, a monster, you know? And I'd run away.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like a raccoon with rabies. I mean, that's scary. That's terrifying. Scary. (laughs) I've seen photos, and oof,
0: never, never again. Yeah, it's pretty frightening. So, so there is use of rabies in vampire or related media. So first is Scott Westerfield's book Peeps. Vampirism is caused by a parasite that evolves from rabies. The parasite makes them shun people they love, avoid sunlight because being out in the day leads to a greater chance of being caught, hence a dead host, and they're pale and gaunt due to the parasite absorbing all of the nutrients they eat.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And actually, most rabies type things in media tend to be zombies or werewolves, though, not vampires.
1: Yeah, I think I was trying to find examples and most of it is like, werewolves today especially Mm -hmm. is that's where like the rabies but it's actually werewolves or werewolves but oh no it's actually rabies comes from occasionally it's zombies too it doesn't seem to be applied to vampires very often in modern media I'm sure there are other examples though I'm sure I missed some but it's not as common as it is with like werewolves and zombies because zombies right. just makes for a good base for a zombie outbreak. Right. And I'm
0: sure, like, depending on what area of Europe specifically you came from back in the 1700s or even before, it really depended whether you were marked as like a werewolf or a vampire. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it just depends on how also the rabies, I think, manifested
1: in the person. Yeah, because if you're bitten by a wolf and then acting more wolf-like, people might assume Mm -hmm. that you're turning into a wolf. I mean, I don't know. Historically, I don't know how many people actually ever thought like, oh, that's a werewolf. He's been afflicted by the wolf disease. You know, I don't know how true that is. Same with like vampire stories. Like, I don't know how often people actually saw someone like stalking the streets at night and thought, Oh, yeah, that prowler is definitely an undead killer. But, like, you know, <laughs> so I mean, I know people did, yeah. but I also don't want to go, like, you know, ascribe modern ideas to like people in the 1600s who had no idea what the frick a werewolf was, you know? Right, so, right. <laughs> it's like, who knows? You can't really go back in time and ask. Cause if I could, I would. That would be sweet. And then they would be like,
0: why are you talking to me in that funny language?
1: I know. And why are you wearing those <laughs> funny clothes? Like you like, harlot. Well, <laughs> like I'd you? be like yoga pants in a sweatshirt and they'd be like, where did you get these strange vestments? And I'd be like, uh, the local tailor, but I wouldn't be able to speak the modern English. So anyway, time travel is actually way more complicated than you think. So, it's much, more, be. so
0: much more complicated. You would need, a, you would actually need a TARDIS because the TARDIS uh-huh. translates language.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, TARDIS is great. Yeah.
0: Also, just a little rabies PSA get the vaccine if you've been bitten or there's been a bat in your home, and definitely take care of your pets as well. Make sure that they're up to date on their rabies vaccines. Yeah. Do not ever handle a bat, even if it's like wounded or even just dis- I, I don't even know about like deceased, but you know, always first call your local bat sanctuary and if you don't have a local one call the one in Texas which is the Bat World Sanctuary and they will actually help you find your local bat sanctuary and if there is none then go ahead and call animal control because some bats are protected and other bats
1: aren't so- yeah Well, and the reason you want to get the rabies vaccine, if you're bitten by a strange animal, a wild animal, or if there's a bat in your house, bats can bite you without you knowing. So that's why if you like wake up and there's a bat in your room, get the vaccine. Mm. The thing with rabies is that once you start showing symptoms, it's not treatable anymore and it's fatal. Oh but my god, really? Yeah, no. So rabies, this is this is why there's the PSA, is why we're doing this right here. So rabies, if you get it, it, has an incubation period of like 4 to 12 months usually. If you get the vaccine, you'll be fine. You won't get rabies, you'll be okay. Once you start exhibiting symptoms, you are no longer treatable. There's no cure for rabies. So there's only a preventative vaccine and unfortunately it is fatal. So once you show symptoms you, you don't want to get to that point because you're not. Oh, gonna... my God. I think I'm going to get the rabies vaccine. <laughs> I mean, you, it's a painful vaccine. And I believe it, it might even be like multiple shots. And so it's not like a fun thing to go do. But if you ever think you might have been exposed, please get it. Because, again, there is no cure. There's no treatment. They can't do anything for you once you exhibit symptoms. And yeah. That's why it's also good to keep your pets up to date, because that way, you know, they don't bring rabies in and that kind of thing. So anyway, <laughs> that was our little PSA about that's rabies. our PSA. Ooh. Very important All to right. know that. I yes, very too. and the more you know. The more you know. There we go. Okay.
0: Well, moving on from rabies.
1: <laughs> yeah. So a really popular disease that's depicted in media as being like secretly vampirism and or oh, it wasn't vampirism. It was just this disease is Prophyria. And from the Mayo Clinic, prophyria refers to a group of disorders that result from a buildup of natural chemicals that produce porphyrin in your body. Porphyrins are essential for the function of hemoglobin, a protein in your red blood cells that links to porphyrin, binds iron, and carries oxygen to your organs and tissues. High levels of porphyrins can cause significant problems. So the symptoms of prophyria include extreme sensitivity to sunlight, which can actually lead to like strange sunburns and really do some cell damage if you get too much Mm. sun exposure. It can also lead to facial disfiguration, burns, and hair growth. Sometimes people with prophyria have the appearance of fangs because their gums recede, which makes their teeth look bigger. And the sulfur and garlic can actually trigger an attack of prophyria, meaning the afflicted persons tend to avoid it. Also, people with prophyria may have an aversion to mirrors. Poor oxygen levels leads to facial structures kind of collapsing and it can create facial disfigurement. So people may have avoided mirrors like historically or something because they just didn't want to look at themselves. I don't know how true that is, but that's part of the story. So porphyria is largely inherited. It's not something you really catch. And in the 1800s, it had been prevalent among the nobility of Eastern Europeans. Well,
0: yeah. And so David Dolphin was the first to suggest porphyria first in his 1964 article that initially targeted werewolves and finally using porphyria as the catalyst for vampires in 1985. And it really hurt the porphyria community because there are people who are still afflicted by porphyria to this day. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very rare. And so the porphyria foundation Took umbrage with that article, which is why we had the PSA at the beginning saying, like, we are not authorities on diseases. And we by no means are suggesting in any way that people who are afflicted by these diseases are actually, in fact, vampires. Just that science was not at the game level that it is now a few hundred years ago when people were dying of very rare diseases and people ascribed superstition to them.
1: Yes. Yeah. And absolutely. And I actually, I suffer from anemia. So I suffer from one of these diseases and I understand like, you know, how that could be like, Annoying or even offensive to have people constantly suggesting that because you have this horrible illness, like that makes you some supernatural monster. I personally wouldn't mind being a vampire, but I see why people would be bothered by that. Yeah, same. Ditto. They subscribe to them all yeah. the time because you're suffering from a real disease that does have real consequences and is obviously affecting your life greatly. And it's not really a joke to you. And I can definitely see why that would be right problematic.
0: Great. Right. It is a very heated debate among folklorists. And like vampire historians. So I can see that for sure. Yeah.
1: But Porphyria is used in modern media a lot. It is one of the more common things that you'll see on procedural shows or shows where they're like, it's a vampire. No, wait, it's not. Some examples of that are on a recent episode of CSI. The villain of the week was a woman who pureed people's livers into blood-rich protein shakes because she suffered from porphyria and drinking the blood helped alleviate her symptoms. So it was one of those situations where they thought they were hunting a vampire. I mean, they didn't really because they're CSI. They're like, yeah, yeah, but they're like, oh, this is vampire-like killings. But actually it's just a woman who has porphyria. See, I would be more, if I
0: had porphyria, I'd be way more
1: offended by that. Yeah, oh totally. The idea that you would like kill people and like blend up their livers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: I'm like, how does she have the energy to do that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I don't I don't know. Also, just I just think of like your kitchen and how messy that would get. Like also white people. Why not? I'm
0: like, you could just go to the butcher and get like a literal like cow liver and do that yourself.
1: Yeah, well, because some people are murderous pricks, I guess. guess
0: i Guess so. I guess so. Maybe I don't know. Because
1: <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode of CSI. If I get, she guess so. No, like, wow. To
0: me, that I'm like, wow, they are really scraping the barrel with this one. How long have they
1: been on? I, I don't really watch CSI, so I don't know. I mean, I've watched a couple. Apologies to all CSI devout fans out there, but wow, it's not. I mean, I I've watched some episodes. It's good stuff, but like, it's not my favorite procedural at all. Mm-hmm. So, I tend to like the weird ones. speaking Speaking of of which (laughs) so um on the x-files which you may know i have an x-files rewatch podcast called i want to rewatch you should check it out in x-files season two there's an episode called three it is not the third episode it is the seventh episode because the x-files likes to be frustrating with their titling Mulder apprehends a suspect who is then killed by the sunlight in his jail cell And the medical examiner suggests that he might suffer from porphyria. And that's why the sunlight killed him. But it turns out he's actually a vampire and he comes back. So he does not suffer from porphyria. But that was the skeptical theory. And Scully's not in that episode. So the medical examiner was playing the role of the, here's the scientific explanation. There's also an Australian show called Harrow, which is on Hulu. If you're in the U.S., you want to watch it. I've been watching it. It's a good show. And it's about a forensic pathologist named Daniel Harrow. And in this particular episode, I think it's the third episode of season three, Harrow is called to the scene of a murder and the victim, Sebastian, is in a coffin and he's been staked and he's dressed like a vampire. He has like a velvet jacket and like a white puppy shirt. I mean, very like he looks like a vampire and he has fangs that it turns out he had implanted. So he had his incisors pulled and had fangs put in. He basically lived as a vampire because... During his autopsy, they learned that Sebastian suffered from prophyria from the time he was a small child. And so because he couldn't go out in the day, he, you know, fell into the goth culture and then kind of into the vampire culture. And his house has like really pretty antique furniture because he's an antiques dealer and that's his job. But he also has all these vampire books. And they meet some of his friends who are like goth people, and they're like, Yeah, Sebastian was kind of the real deal. You know, he was kind of like a vampire and he drank animal blood. So he was harmless, but he was a guy with Propheria. Unfortunately for Sebastian, his neighbor was this Romanian who grew up with vampire lore and the neighbor's wife gets bitten by a snake and she's actually not dead. She's paralyzed, but she is brought into the morgue because they believe she's dead. And so the Romanian guy believing that the vampire killed his wife because she had the snake bite on her neck is the one who killed Sebastian. Like he went into his home and he staked him because everyone in the neighborhood knew about, quote, the neighborhood vampire guy. So that you know, it's very unfortunate. And at the end, like Harrow, they release the woman because obviously she's not dead. She wakes up. She's fine. And they send her home. And then Harrow realizes that this man really believed Sebastian was a vampire. So he probably believes his wife is now a vampire, and he has to, like rush over and stop the guy from killing his wife because he thinks she's newly been turned into a vampire. And the guy is arrested for murder. And so anyway, it's a good, it's a good episode. It's really interesting how like they went into it, and it tends to go into the science of like you know. Pathology. i don't know
0: if i'm I thought It was good who that episode is more offensive towards the romanians
1: <laughs> well yeah i know there's definitely <laughs> oh some God. some bits and pieces there because like he grew up with like he's like an older romanian guy and he just believes that vampires are real and so all right yeah anyway it's I but mean, the show's I mean,
0: fun <laughs> i mean truthfully i don't i don't have any romanian friends i don't know what like modern day romanian to vampire mythos relationship is like but
1: yeah i can't imagine there are a lot of actual people from romania who literally believe in vampire lore. but to be fair his wife did have like two bites on her neck and was like dead from a snake bite and no, 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 it for looked sure. like a vampire bite and so i could definitely see even if you hadn't previously believed maybe you're like oh shit that guy really is a vampire i gotta deal with it right and so right. then he deals with it and it turns out that his, but you live in Australia. Like you got to know there's 500 million poisonous snakes there probably. Not
0: even just snakes. I mean the,
1: <laughs> the most deadliest of spiders like lives in the city. Oh, I, I want to go to Australia so bad, but also I'm terrified of you Australia. <laughs> I I was bit by a spider in Australia
0: and I'm very lucky to be here. <laughs> oh my and gosh. that it was a banal spider because I was staying in Sydney. Oh man. And there was a huge lump on the back of my leg. And Ooh. I was like, Oh my God. And I started freaking out and I was like, am I going to die? And my friend that I traveled with goes, nah, you'd be dead already. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank yeah. You.
1: But anyway, if you want another show about pathology, that's sort of similar to bones. Hair always good. Hi.
0: Right. So next we have pellagra. Pellagra is caused by a dietary deficiency of niacin, which is vitamin B3, and an amino acid called tryptophan. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) Niacin assists turning food into energy. Hence, turkey, turkey, turkey. Mm -hmm. Symptoms include an extreme sensitivity to sunlight with terrible rashes if one goes outside. The skin can begin to degrade over time, looking very pale and papery. Mouths can also look red along with all of the other gross shit that happens with prophyria. Worst of all, pellagra can cause neurons to degenerate in the brain, leading to mental illness and insomnia. So very, very uncomfortable disease to have. So throughout the 1700s, wheat was swapped out for corn as the food staple for many Europeans, starting from the Iberian Peninsula and sweeping eastward, especially poverty-stricken areas. It wasn't nutritious as they forgot their cheat sheet that the indigenous Mesoamerican people wrote them on treating corn with lime water to release the nutrients. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, pellagra began popping up with symptoms very similar to porphyria. In the early 1900s, pellagra reached epidemic proportions in the American South. Between one thousand, nine hundred and six and one thousand, nine hundred and forty, more than three million Americans were affected by pellagra, with more than a hundred thousand deaths. Yet the epidemic resolved itself right after dietary niacin fortification. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. I had no idea that like this was something fairly recent in human history, and that it was over here. Like you don't think of these diseases being epidemic level. In like, you know, your
1: grandparents' memory, right? Or yeah, in their time. That's wow. My grandma's ninety-five, so she's seen a lot of things.
0: Yeah, my grandma was my maternal grandparents were born in the nineteen teens, but my dad's parents were born in like at the turn of the century. So I'm sure they probably like. I mean, they they grew up in Arkansas. So I mean, if it didn't affect their family, they probably knew somebody who polygraph affected because a hundred thousand deaths is a lot and 3 million americans is
1: it's a lot of people
0: it's a lot of sure. people especially yeah. back then
1: it is so fascinating to me how like so there are a lot of conspiracy people and conspiracy theorists who are all up in arms about the government adding stuff to things and you know like adding fluoride to your toothpaste and adding oh, yeah, niacin yeah. to food but like i don't think people understand that like before we had those things Things like plague were endemic because people didn't get enough niacin. And so those kinds of things are really important. They aren't just the government being evil and being like, i I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't trust the government for a lot of reasons, but like I'm just saying that like there, right. there's a line, right? Yeah, and no, you no. have to remember that a lot of these things were done not as some nefarious means of like controlling people or doing something awful. It was just done because they're trying to solve these. Problems that are happening because people right. are getting the right nu- nutrients or nutrition or enough fluoride in their teeth or whatever. And I'm also assuming
0: that the Iberian Peninsula people who sailed to the Mesoamerican people, I'm I'm gonna assume that was not a um a friendly encounter. No, probably not. And so I'm like, so they they bring home corn, and yet they didn't watch the indigenous people. <laughs> Like, treat the corn with lime. Like, they figured it out. They figured it out like thousands of years ago. Like, yeah, you needed an alkaline treatment, is what it is to like release the nutrients. So, I'm just
1: like, colonists getting what they deserve. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know I am descended from white colonists, but yeah, still, yeah, still getting what you deserve. Getting what yeah. you deserve. I just <laughs> feel bad for all the peasants
0: because, yeah, this, the corn was much easier and cheaper to grow, which is Mm -hmm. why poverty-stricken areas were afflicted mostly.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's still true today, which is why we have things like high fructose corn syrup, because corn Mm -hmm. is cheap and easy and profitable.
0: Yep. Read your labels, people. Read your labels. (laughs) Speaking of diseases that are in recent memory.
1: Yeah. So then we have tuberculosis, also abbreviated to TB, is a bacterial disease that primarily affects the lungs. Like COVID, it spread through aerosols, although a good number of carriers remain asymptomatic and unlike COVID, asymptomatic carriers don't seem to spread the disease. Symptoms include chronic cough with bloody mucus, fever, night sweats and weight loss. It was often referred to as consumption because it would basically consume the person who had it, right? They would mm-hmm. like waste away. Because it was so contagious, people living in the same area or having lots of contact would easily contract the disease and spread it. So lots of members of the same family, it would just go through small towns, that kind of thing. Like if there's a church and a congregation, obviously it could spread through the congregation very quickly. And then after someone died from it, many of their friends and relatives would also later die from it. So like they would, you know, someone would get ill, die, and then their sister and their friend and their cousin and the person they stand next to at church, like would all get sick. And so it would just be this epidemic. And this is where we have incidents of panic-stricken people digging up their relatives suspected of being a vampire and killing them again or doing other things to mitigate the vampire curse or the vampirism that is now spreading through their household. They would do things like hack off their head, rearrange their bones in the form of a cross, They would flip the dead body over in their coffin so that they were face down, which apparently would help. They would also check the heart for blood. And if they found blood in the heart, they would remove the heart and burn it. And of course, sometimes they would just drive a stake through the heart. Sometimes a good old fashioned staking cures what ails (laughs) you. Yeah. So those are the things they would do to kind of help eliminate this thing with this disease running rampant. Fun fact both my grandparents
0: had tb and lived 3 years in the oh sanatorium. Oh yeah. wow. right after my mom was born. Oh my so, gosh. So my mom like barely knew her parents.
1: That's so terrible.
0: Yeah. Like right yeah. here in Los Angeles. I have actually no idea how they contracted it and my mom has had a false positive. Oh. That's scary. And then they were very nervous about myself as well especially given the fact that like I was born with a congenital heart defect, but I have never given a false positive or anything. And I've had, because I've worked with children for the last 25 years, mm-hmm. I uh, I am way up to date on my TV boosters. <laughs> so yeah. I have had probably more TV shots than I had any other shot in the history of shots.
1: <laughs> yeah. I definitely got a TV shot when I was like doing some tutoring at school and stuff mm-hmm. as a teacher. So yeah, whenever you work with kids, you have to be vaccinated against it, which, you know, vaccines are good. Go get your vaccine.
0: Go get your vaccine.
1: So because of the fear the disease was
0: supernatural in nature, it led to the new England vampire panic in the 1800s outbreaks of TB, AKA the white plague caused a panic because people believed the deceased were consuming the lives of their surviving relatives, particularly since TB would sort of quote suck the life out of people. The solution was thought to be to dig up the bodies and examine them for signs of vampirism or other supernatural elements. To quote an excerpt from The Last American Vampire by Chris Klein, the corpse was deemed to be feeding on the living if it was determined to be unusually fresh, especially if the heart or other organs contained liquid blood. Once a body was deemed to be a culprit feeding on the living, there were a number of solutions. Sometimes they merely turned the body over in its grave, Sometimes they would ritually burn the organs or cut off the head. Fam- affected family members would also inhale smoke from the burned organs or consume the ashes in a further attempt to cure the consumption. Speaking of which,
1: <laughs> take it
0: away, Tori. <laughs>
1: Ew. Ew. Leave the dead alone. Don't, don't eat ashes. That's gross. So that leads us to the Mercy Brown vampire incident. The Mercy Brown vampire incident occurred in Rhode Island in 1892, and it's the most famous part of the New England Vampire Panic. So this was going on, and then this is the incident that is most often discussed specifically. So in the late 1800s, members of the family of George and Mary Brown began to contract tuberculosis. Mary Eliza, the mother, was the first to die in 1883 followed soon by her daughter, Mary Olive, six months later. Mary Olive was only 20 years old. The younger children in the family, Edwin and Mercy, also contracted the illness. And Edwin grew really frail and weak, and Mercy suffered from tuberculosis for a year before dying on January 19, 1892, at the age of 19. So George was desperate to save his son, Edwin, so he and other family members dug up the bodies of all three deceased family members, both Mary's and Mercy. Both Mary's showed heavy signs of decomposition, and they were determined to be dead and not the cause of Edwin's suffering. But Mercy had only died eight weeks earlier, and some accounts say she was held in a crypt until the ground could thaw, because obviously she died in January when it's like snowing, you can't it's icy. Like the ground is ice. You can't Mm. dig. So there are accounts that she was held in this crypt. Others say that she was actually buried. They managed to dig the ground up, but either way it was winter. And so the cold would have preserved her body more. So she wouldn't have decomposed that much. When they opened her coffin, they found that she was pretty well preserved and didn't really look like she had decomposed in any way. She looked like she had just died. They also noted that she still had blood in her heart and veins, so she was determined to be undead. So they found their vampire. A local doctor at the time actually did try to tell the family that since she'd only been dead a short time in the winter months, the state of her body was actually normal and what you could expect to see. So it wasn't like everyone, you know, back in the 1800s was like, oh, vampires. Like there were people who understood like. (laughs) this is how bodies work. Like it's not going to just fall apart if it's basically in a freezer for eight weeks. But unfortunately, you know, the family's desperate. They're panicked. Their son's dying. They're going to do whatever they can. So they cut Mercy's heart out and they cut out her lungs and they burned both her lungs and heart. And then they brought the ashes to Edwin, mixed them with water and had him drink them to cure his illness. Mm -mm. Yeah, yummy. Yes, that's good drinking. That's cures that's, mm. what ails you. I just like, even just not even thinking about the contents of it, just the fact that like, I mean, it, it just sounds like it would be really gritty and very hard to swallow, like literally. <sighs> so it does not sound pleasant. Unfortunately for Edwin, it didn't work. And he ended up dying on May 2nd, 1892 of tuberculosis. So it did not save him. Some theorized that Mercy Brown was actually part of Bram Stoker's inspiration for the character of Lucy in Dracula. And Mercy was the inspiration behind Caitlin R. Kiernan's short story, So the World Runs Away. So you can see tuberculosis did actually cause a lot of supposed vampire panic and definitely had people digging up graves in desperation to find a cure. Because it's a very contagious, not fun disease.
0: It wasn't just diseases, though, that triggered vampire panic. There were birth defects and other superstitions also at play. So before being bitten was the tried and true way into vampirism, anomalies relating to birth itself were seen as indicators of the evil undead because there had to be meaning placed upon these ailments, and it was often attributed to a spiritual deficiency. So it could have been something as circumstantial like being born the seventh son of the seventh son or an illegitimate child born from illegitimate parents even being born on christmas day or the days between christmas and the epiphany which is january 6 are seen as ripe for divine punishment because how very dare you give birth and try to upstage the virgin mary and our lord and savior jesus christ
1: <laughs> yeah how dare you how dare you be dare born you? on christmas i mean <laughs> A day that has no historical relation, accuracy to Jesus whatsoever to the birth of but, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you.
0: that a day that belonged to the pagans. I mean, way I gotta before. say,
1: if you're born on Christmas, you're already getting punished enough because your birthday is falling on the big gift holiday. And I know and people
0: are doubling up and being like, "Oh, here's here's like
1: this here's one your birthday thing. slash Christmas present." Yeah. I mean, it might be a really Ugh. sweet Lego set, but still, you could have gotten two of those. I know. i mean i'm not i was born in may so i have the perfect birthday same july so (laughs) i was born at the end of may which makes me a gemini but also right before summer i win my birthday is the best although although it is often on memorial day weekend so all my friends will be out of town and i can't have birthday parties that is the punishment that i get for having an otherwise perfect birthday
0: yeah mine's in the summer so i never got to
1: bring cupcakes yeah i know i see i was lucky because my school would go till june so i I still got to sneak in and do birthday school stuff.
0: At some, at some point, someone like one of my teachers, one of my many teachers over the years did like a, a celebratory, like for all the summer birthdays. Oh yeah. That yeah. was cool. I was like, yay! I am finally included. Everything's <laughs> coming up mill house, you know, is <laughs> finally like a good day. All right. Anyway, back to the actual show. Folklorist Paul Barber noted that quote, When a child is born with a red call or amniotic membrane covering its head, this was regarded throughout much of Europe as presumptive evidence that it is destined to return from the dead. Among the Kashubians of Poland, the call was saved until the child's seventh birthday when it was then burned and the ashes were fed to the child as a ward against vampirism. Man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of burning, forcing children to be eating ashes ashes. and shit. It's it's
1: weird because that's not something you really see in vampire literature or vampire Mm -hmm. media, but clearly it was a big part of the actual folklore.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I I know it's common, not just in Anne Rice vampires, but like when you burn a vampire, you got to spread the ashes. So they, there's no chance of them coming back, you know, and seeking vengeance. But because
1: you can regenerate pretty easily if you're a vampire in a lot of media, like that's a thing. Like, I mean, even like what we do in the shadows has the baron like half burned out on a couch. Yeah, 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 yeah. He wasn't, you know, they didn't quite, you know, he he was right exactly
0: in various parts of Europe being born with a third nipple or lacking cartilage in the nose or a split lower lip, or being born with teeth are distinct indicators that a baby is fated to murk their God-fearing family. Even something as banal as a birthmark or growing eyebrows too close together will brand a kid for the undead army of bloodsuckers. So because of nutrition-based deficiencies during gestation, I feel that there were way more birth defects going on in the world way back then than there are today. Right. So I'm like, that's like thousands, if not millions of vampires supposedly running around.
1: Well, and it just plays on people's fears, right? Something, you know, your baby isn't perfect. I mean, no, no one is perfect. Right. But like something right appears different or is, you know, is a little bit different than normal. And so like with how like the child mortality rate was so high that I'm sure that I'm sure a lot of those kids just didn't even survive. Right. Well, and anything that would indicate that maybe they weren't going to survive was probably terrifying to the parents. And so I'm sure like that also fueled these fears that like anything that's slightly different might have some horrible effect, you know, was an easy thing to spread around because people were already terrified. And when people are already terrified, it's easier to kind of get people to talk about, oh my gosh, You know, the kid was born with a horn. He's not going to make it past three or whatever. Right. Right.
0: And it's so strange to me that how prevalent birth defects likely were that it became a negative connotation because you would almost think like, because it's so common that it would be turned into a blessing just to like, I don't know.
1: I think it's because it comes more from fear than from, you know, pride. No, of course. No, no, no. Fear is like a
0: huge motivator
1: and it is a, it is a huge force of nature and, yeah, and a tool. Be, oh yeah, absolutely. And it can be a big driver of misinformation as we mm. have all it, well, Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's, it continues over. on to this day. So switching gears to a disease near and
1: dear to both of us,
0: Dory. <laughs> yeah.
1: <Tori>. yeah. So <laughs> a TMI. I have mm. suffered from anemia. Ditto. So, anemia is another disease that's often conflated with vampirism or can be used in media as like a reason behind vampirism or vampire fakeouts, which are very popular in procedurals. I watch a lot of procedurals. You probably, if you listen to Maxwell's podcast, you figured that out. Big fan of shows like Psych and Monk and like the funny ones. But yeah, I watch a lot of that stuff. Obviously, I'm watching Harrow now. So, just mm, I don't know. I like a good mystery, I guess, is what it comes down to.
0: My mom watches Harrow.
1: It's good. I mean, it's, it's, again, it can be corny, but like most of it is pretty solid. It's I just, mean
0: most procedurals are pretty corny anyway. So it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And although it is funny what they can get away with on Australian TV, like Australian TV can show nipples yes. see that on American TV. Although it's, you know, it's not a, a salacious thing at all. It's just like a corpse, but they, they'll have like the naked corpse out totally. And you're like, Whoa, wouldn't see that on bones, mm. but that's just because Americans are weird you're prudish. Yeah. pretty sure about weird things. Anyway, we're talking about anemia. And so anemia is a blood disorder in which people lack enough red blood cells to carry oxygen to their tissues and organs. There are actually many causes and many types of anemia. So it's not just one disease. It's kind of a umbrella of different anemias. And some of the causes can be just like an iron or vitamin deficiency. It can be an inherited condition. Apparently there is a very specific type of anemia that Italian women just genetically carry. Apparently I have that. Uh So, I mean, just certain, there are different ways to have anemia and different cures for depending on your type of anemia. So whatever type you have, there might be, you might just have to take iron supplements or you might just have to, I mean, there are just other treatments and stuff. So it just depends. Symptoms include fatigue and weakness, so you may want to sleep all day, as vampires are known to do. It may make you pale or yellow your skin a little bit, so it can make you look a little bit, you know, a little more pale, a little more vampiric. It can lead to cold hands and feet because it can affect your blood circulation. It can also lead to shortness of breath, a regular heartbeat, dizziness, and my favorite, Brain fog. Which, oh, my old friend. Oh, God. There are brain days fog. where I'm just like, yeah, brain fog is, oh, it's the worst. It's and, the worst. So, and it is a big symptom of anemia. And if you don't know you have anemia and you're just like, why is my brain not working? Why am I just like in this haze? Go, and I can't go check your thyroid. Focus? Yeah, get your thyroid check, get your iron levels checked because that is a thing. Talk to your GP. Talk to your doctor. Again, we're not medical. This is not medical advice. I'm talking about my own experience and Chell is talking about her own experience, but we're not in any way suggesting that we are experts or know anything. Not I just at know all. We're, we're, what my we're doctor saying, tells me. We, we are saying, go to the expert. I get blood tests all the time and then get told whether I should be taking iron or not. It's very fun. Being a mortal meat bag is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. Because people with anemia often have iron deficiencies, they may crave meat or other iron-rich foods such as blood. Obviously, in some cultures, there's like blood sausage and blood is used in cooking and stuff. And so may crave that. Fatigue may leave you sleeping all day, like I said. And again, you're going to look pale. You're going to have cold limbs. You might, you know, all things that could be mistaken for vampiric traits. And if you're walking around in a brain fog because you don't know what's going on and you're pale and avoiding the sunlight, I don't know, maybe people think you're a vampire but
0: a really lazy, slow vampire because
1: <laughs> ain't no slow way vampire ain't, can't get
0: anything done. Ain't, ain't no way in hell anemia is going to be the driving force between someone like chasing down another human being to like bite them and
1: eat them. Because oh. I would never do that. I can barely chase down the pizza delivery driver <laughs> in front of my building <laughs> when I'm having a bad flare of anemia. Like I am so tired and useless. Like it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Same. Like I, I remember those days before my hypothyroid was diagnosed and they were awful. There was nothing (laughs) that could get me off the couch or out of my bed.
1: Yeah, no, I had a lot of medical tests to figure out what I had. And like, just, it was, there were just days where like, I couldn't do anything and you just and then you feel guilty because we live in a capitalist hellscape where if you're not producing stuff, you're a bad person. And so then I would feel terrible that I couldn't do anything. And it's just a fun cycle. Anemia is great. Anemia, weirdly, I haven't found a lot of examples of being used in recent vampire media. Again, if you have examples and you want to hit us up on social media, please check our socials. They'll be in the show notes. Let us know because I know I missed some. I looked all over and I tried to obviously stuff I've read or seen, but I didn't find a lot. There is a novel called The Dragon Waiting by John M. Ford, where the cause of vampirism is actually a disease called hematophagic anemia, and the vampires must drink blood at certain intervals to keep themselves in check. In the book, they can drink animal blood, but they must consume some human blood occasionally in order to stay alive and in check. But otherwise, the vampires in this book apparently can eat and drink food. They don't have fangs but they are sensitive to sunlight, particularly their eyes. So they would wear sunglasses. I haven't read the book, but it sounds interesting. So I might check it out.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Check
1: that out. So yeah. I mean, anemia obviously because of the iron deficiency, the paleness, cold limbs, and because you may crave red or raw meat or blood in some way to help deal with your iron deficiency. I definitely have had like mad hamburger cravings yeah (laughs) during during some real anemia flares because you just your body wants the iron of course there are other sources of iron like spinach and you don't have to eat red meat but i can definitely see why that might lead to some vampire stories or legends or be used in media i'm actually surprised it's not used more in media for that but you never know i don't know but i don't know
0: So there are a whole spate of cases where people were accused of vampirism after their deaths because people just did not understand the natural decomposition of bodies and let their imagination go bananas. So there are two most well-documented cases in Eastern Europe that made their way to Western Europe and helped stir the vampire hysteria of the 1730s. And I'm going to share one of them, which is the first case. So the first case begins with a Serbian peasant named Peter Plogodiewicz. And I apologize to all Serbians and native Slavic language users for butchering their lovely dialect and poetic enunciation. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So Peter died in 1725, and I cannot find the cause of his death. I'm assuming it's irrelevant, but I, I, I don't think so, given the details of this case. So allegedly, 10 weeks after his death, his corpse was seen walking through his village of Kisolova at night. These sightings were followed by a spate of other sudden deaths after very short illnesses, reportedly of about 24 hours each. Within eight days, nine people perished, and on their deathbeds, the victims allegedly claimed to have been throttled by Peter at night. Furthermore, Peter's wife stated that he had visited her and asked her for his shoes. She then moved to another village for safety reasons. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean I like that he was thinking I don't want to be walking around without shoes like whether yeah. he's undead or what like smart I mean there's a lot of stuff on the ground.
0: Yeah. thinking. In other legends it is said that Peter came back to his house demanding food from his son for like 3 nights in a row and when the son refused Peter brutally murdered him. Ooh. But that isn't as well documented. So that could have okay. just been a circumstance. You know, a rumor
1: that got spread. A rumor that
0: got spread. Although, like, I have no, I can't find any records of his son dying or anything. So I don't,
1: I don't know. Yeah. That is not in the legend. (laughs) The story is not about him. It's so hard with these stories that we hear from like the 1700s because documentation was so fleeting. And you just, even if someone wrote it down, you never know if they just wrote down what they heard or if they, you know, you just, it's hard to know. So,
0: so here's where we actually get like real details. So the panic-stricken Hamlet turned to the imperial magistrate Professor Frombald to get a priest and be present during an examination of the body which they had already exhumed but they didn't they didn't want to like touch it. Okay. Frombald felt this was way above his pay grade and he wanted to wait and send word to his Austrian higher-ups in Belgrade. However, there is nothing more motivating than a hysterical mob that not only threatened to abandon their homes, but claimed their tiny village had already been decimated once before by vampires while under Turkish rule.
1: Huh.
0: I know, right? Not one to be outdone by the Ottoman Empire, Frombald grudgingly consented to be present at the vampire checklist of Peter.
1: Okay, so they were going to kind of do the thing that we talked about with the vampire panic where they're going to like check and see if he has signs of vampires. Yeah, but
0: they wanted the like this official magistrate because like their little village was like constantly being s- swapped hands between like the Turkish rule under the Ottoman Empire and then the Austrian rule. So like there was a lot of fighting going on in between. Oh. So these people were just like, Oh, okay. We're Ottomans now. Oh, okay. Nope. We're Austrians. But I mean, they're all Serbians, you know, but it's just like, who's your overlord, you know? Right. So I think these people were just like, look, we don't want to get in trouble (laughs) for (laughs) doing any weird, like superstitious stuff. And then like some official coming out at us and telling us that like, Oh my God, you killed this guy. I'm arresting all of you or something. You know, they wanted an official, person to be present and have eyes on what's going on so they were they were really like thinking ahead even though like through their panic you know that's
1: me make, that makes sense I mean it was very much a cover your ass move it was They're a very like, cover your ass cover move. our yeah. butts and have someone here so that we're not then accused of doing some kind of weird witchcraft or something exactly, some and, exactly. and
0: then they wanted the priest and everything so right yeah so this is yeah. all
1: above board <laughs> Please officially help us check this yeah. man for vampirism. Absolutely. Covering
0: their asses, I totally dig it. So, together with a priest, Frumbold viewed the already exhumed body and was astonished to find that the characteristics associated with vampires in local belief were indeed present. The body was undecomposed, allegedly. The hair and beard were grown, and there was new skin and nails, and the old ones had like peeled away. And he also had what Frumbold wrote was wild signs. A.K.A. a full erection, Mm -hmm. a detail which may have lent to the erotic nature of vampires later on. And most damning of all, blood could be seen in the mouth. After that, the very distressed villagers proceeded to stake the body through the heart, which caused a great amount of, quote, completely fresh blood to flow through the ears and mouth of the corpse. So finally, the body was dragged out from its grave and set on fire. so covering his ass like any good little monkey middleman Frumbo concluded his report on the case with the request that in case these actions were found to be wrong by the austrian higher-ups he should not be blamed for them as the villagers were hysterical with fear and wanted some mob justice and then the conclusion of the story is the authorities apparently did not consider it necessary to take any measures regarding the incident they're like mm, okay <laughs> so <laughs> that was it I, this is, this is such a wild case. It is such a wild case. and it's been very like well reported on in other podcasts and and you know, on vampires and just like strange and unusualness because from Bald had made this like very official report. So
1: it's in like the local records and shit of that era. So, That's
0: so very, fun. very well
1: documented. That's so cool that it's like well documented. It's so weird. There. I mean, I get it, but like it's funny because in so many of these stories we've been talking about today, it's people who have like a disease sweeping through their family and they're like mm-hmm. desperate to solve it. Whereas this just seems like the guy asked for his shoes and maybe murdered his son. We don't even know. We don't even just-
0: know. We don't even know if he had a son for one. Yeah. And two, I'm just like, you know, like I'm assuming, yeah, it's it, like there was like a, I'm, I feel like 62 year old Peter probably died of whatever. And then because like, again, 10 weeks later, like some sort of disease like swept through the little tiny hamlet and when you have like a little tiny hamlet probably honest to god probably like 100 people or less
1: yeah not like any
0: like nine people dying is very significant oh for sure yeah especially in like in the better part of a week you know so you know they're they're like you know they'll fucking say anything you know like oh i saw that guy you know it must have been that guy he probably brought something you know he probably brought a plague upon us i mean maybe he did maybe there was like an incubation period maybe it was rabies you know like we talked about that because rabies has an incubation period so you know who's to say
1: yeah but, exactly you don't know Like,
0: nobody. there was no documentation of like how these people died you know other than like it was very quick very quick like you know, kind of like how like the norovirus kind of goes through you, like it's like a very extreme version of a stomach bug.
1: Right. Yeah. And, it, and like, it just it's just like gets passed around. Yeah, it just gets
0: passed around and it's like, in and out of the One kid gets like, it in tw-
1: class and everyone yeah, and then got like 24 and-
0: hours later, yeah, you're fine. So, and I feel like you know, it's very similar to this, you know, like whatever it was, it was just quick and fast.
1: Yeah, so, and possibly didn't kill as many people and just caused people to panic. Because obviously, I mean, getting probably, sick is I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually be surprised because they did exhume all the rest of those bodies. Oh, that's true. So maybe. They, yeah,
0: no, no, no. Like those like, those people did definitely die, but I wouldn't, but nobody said whether it was like they were They were all in the same family. Did they all eat like the same contaminated like meat or, you know, who like who knows, right? But they yeah. blamed it on this poor dude. And I, <laughs> I love that the wife though, the widow got like, the hell out of there! She was just like, okay, one, I don't like my my husband coming back from the grave because that's, I mean, she totally like said that, like, oh, he came and he kept visiting me and asking me for his shoes, and she was just like, nope, he's a vampire. I'm packing my bags. I'm leaving with my <laughs> sister. You're like two villages over. He won't find me there. And and then I'm like, okay, but did she really leave because she was terrified of him, or did she really leave because she was terrified of the mob?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah exactly and it's like you never know with like an unhinged mob of people who are accusing someone of supernatural whatever whether that person's dead or not you don't know where the next accusation is going to fall exactly. so it is very like get out now burn. burn the witch you know it's yeah you know, it, it turns like it, on turns a dime. Into, it turns into an actual witch hunt which is yeah, scary exactly. yeah exactly terrifying so then finally we have catalepsy Catalepsy is a disease that affects the signals in the central nervous system, much like epilepsy. The muscle sees completely and shut down, and it can slow a person's heart rate until it seems they're actually dead, which can lead to the appearance of death and then possibly the appearance of coming back from the dead. Mm. It's a nervous condition characterized by muscular rigidity and fixity of posture, regardless of external stimuli, as well as a decreased sensitivity to pain. So, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I could definitely see someone suffering from this and then waking up and people thinking that you've come back from the dead. So there's no solid example
0: of catalepsy in vampire literature, but there is in Gothic literature. In Edgar Allan Poe's The Premature Burial, the narrator develops catalepsy. He fears being mistakenly declared dead and buried alive and goes to great lengths to prevent this. In another of Poe's short stories, The Fall of the House of Usher, Madeline Usher has catalepsy and is buried alive by her unstable brother, Roderick. Catalepsy is also depicted in Bernice, thus becoming one of the recurrent themes in Poe's fiction. I wonder if he had like a (laughs) crippling fear of being buried alive.
1: I wonder, and I wonder too, because I know that was one of those things that was Kind of a popular fear at the time because obviously it happened because it happened, yeah. But you know, they definitely had those things where they would like install bells that you could ring from your coffin if you woke up and things like that. So I can definitely see, and I thought, like, the fall of the house of Usher. I thought that, like,
0: there have been various either essays or reinterpretations of that in a vampire sense. It's very vampiric,
1: it is, yeah. I could see that, and I think, like. I mean, you said there are no examples. Obviously there might be, we just haven't found them. So if- oh yeah, that I could find, yes. Yeah, so that, that might be a thing. If nothing else, it'd be an interesting thing to explore. I know that like personally, the idea of being buried alive is freaking terrifying. That's like the worst case scenario. It's yeah. just not a good situation. And then we just have some other uses of disease and vampire related media that just didn't really fit any category. So on the show Psych, There's an episode called This Episode Sucks. That's the name of the episode if you want to look it up. There is a black cloak killer that's draining people's blood. And Sean and Gus think that the killer is a vampire. So they actually dress like vampires. Gus dresses like Dracula and Sean dresses like Lestat. And they go to this vampire bar. It's really funny. There's some really good like Anne Rice references in there. Like He actually quotes one of the books, which wasn't a quote in the movie. So I was impressed that got that Mm -hmm. in there. I was like, oh, someone has actually read the books. Yay. Which is always fun. And they go to this vampire bar and try and solve the crime. It turns out the killer is actually this man with a rare disease who's stealing blood for transfusions because he lost his health insurance and he has a rare blood type. So in that case, that's really real, man. Capitalism is the real disease (laughs) because that's what's causing this guy to go out and murder, which obviously- not okay to murder, but I do think that's a good twist on it. So yeah, it was it's capitalism
0: all along.
1: <laughs> it always is, but yeah, it's a fun episode. So if you haven't seen Psych and you want to look that episode up, I recommend it. It's fun. It's silly. The show is silly, but I enjoy it.
0: I don't think we can talk about diseases and ailments that inspired vampire lore without talking about I Am Legend, written in 1954 by Richard Matheson. I Am Legend is about Robert Neville the sole survivor of a pandemic that has killed most of the human population and turned the remainder into vampires that largely conform to their stereotypes in fiction and folklore. They are blood-sucking, pale-skinned, and nocturnal, though otherwise indistinguishable from normal humans.
1: Yeah, and Richard Matheson actually wrote the script to, um, there is a series called Kolchak the Night Stalker, which was a huge inspiration to Chris Carter for creating The X-Files. And Kolchek started with two TV movies. The first movie is The Night Stalker, which actually features a vampire. And Kolchek is like hunting this vampire in Las Vegas. And the second movie is The Night Strangler. And both of those scripts were written by Richard Matheson. Oh. So, yeah. And that brings us to this episode's vampire question. Do you prefer vampires that have a scientific or a supernatural origin? let us know on Twitter or on Instagram. We'll have those links down in the show notes.
0: This is Tori and Chell wishing you a fang evening with vampire wishes and batty nightmares.
1: Your hostesses through the everlasting darkness have been Tori and Chell.
0: Our music is mixed by Vic Raw, the Never Living, and includes Dark Halloween Night by Chase Allen Willis and Toccata and Fugue in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach and performed by Kevin McLeod.
1: Find us at slash vampires ruined my life or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Men in tweed jackets can can debate all they want.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I know people have like doctorates in this stuff, and I'm sure they could tell us all kinds of stories. So we yeah. read some articles from some of those people. Hopefully that yeah, we did. yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs>